Hello, my friends. This is The Jordan Paris Show. Today, I have with me Kristen Ruby. We're going to talk about all things social media, big tech, censorship, the future of these social media platforms, mainstream and alternative platforms. And Kristen's a social media consultant. She's been a social media consultant within her company, Ruby Media Group, for the past decade. Maybe you've seen her on OAN, One America News, Newsmax, Fox, Few, several times, and uh, I've checked out some. Of, I've seen some of her segments on there. Actually, why I reached out, and so Kristen, welcome to the Jordan Paris Show. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Sure, and at Sparkling Ruby on Twitter, I want to make sure people can find you. And we had a fun time in Clubhouse last weekend. Your club, what is it called? So I believe it's called the Republicans and Conservatives Club on Clubhouse. So anyone can follow it right now. There, we're up to almost 500 people following that club. Why don't you tell everyone, for people that don't know, the nature of the dialogue on, Cl on Clubhouse? Because I was really impressed with the platform. So Clubhouse is a happening new social media network, which is an audio only platform. So that means, of course, there's no video on it. There's no ability to direct message someone else on it. It is drop in audio and drop out audio. So you have the ability to create rooms or clubs or events, and you can keep those clubs or events to be either open or closed. And so closed ones are locked. They could be for members only or one or two people or even a thousand people. They actually also had like Elon Musk this past uh, weekend on there as well. Oh, wow. And yeah, <laughs> so I think their surface crashed again when, when he was on there. People had to live stream it through YouTube to, to hear it. So you have people like uh, Tulsi Gabbard was on there the other night. You have Barbara Corcoran of Shark Tank. You have so many different people on this platform utilizing it from a B2B marketing perspective to even, I suppose, a political perspective as well. So I had the idea of creating this Republican and conservative club on there because I looked for one and it didn't exist. So when I first joined, I kept going back and I, I kept clicking the magnifying glass and saying, I can't be the only one looking for this because when you join a club or you follow a club, you're looking for things that represent who you are, your interests or what you're all about. And I was shocked that that did not exist. So I applied for it. I didn't actually expect to have it be approved. And lo and behold, I was shocked when it was approved. So I'm hoping the club stays around and that things don't get too crazy in there. But yeah, within, I guess, two weeks, there's almost 500 people following it. So that tells me there clearly is a need for that type of conversation on that platform. Now, traditionally, Clubhouse is pretty liberal in nature. If you look at the hallway, you're going to see a bunch of liberal conversations on there. I have yet to see any Republican conversations on there, yeah. except for the room we did on Saturday. And I, I love the room we did on Saturday because I like how we have to be on our toes. We have to really know what we're talking about, and we have to be able to answer questions when a liberal gets on the stage and challenges us, as I got challenged probably about 50 minutes in. But it was like a good, respectful dialogue. It wasn't like screaming at each other. And I liked it because, you know, on here, Kristen, we can say what we want. Nobody's calling in, getting on the stage with us to challenge us. It's a much more balanced conversation on Clubhouse when you've got people of all different ideologies talking with each other, having an actual dialogue, not over comments, but in real time with real voices. I love the dialogue there. So I want to I ask you this question, Kristen, that'll catapult us into our topics for today. Which is more powerful, Silicon Valley or Washington, D.C.? 
I mean, of course, right now, Silicon Valley is more powerful than Washington, D.C. If anyone yeah. doesn't see that, I think their head is in the sand. I heard somebody saying that, oh, big tech, it governs the government at this point. It does. I would take it a step further. I realized this yesterday. Big tech governs the world. Yeah, you know, it didn't used to be this way, and it also doesn't have to be this way in the future. We're at, we're at a pivotal moment right now, right, where we, it could go one way or the other. And unfortunately, people are which just... Way? <laughs> I would like to see it go the, the correct way, which is that government may sort of get involved here a little bit and have a conversation about regulation and take back the power. I don't see that happening, actually. Yeah. What could be done? What about the argument of their platform, their choice as a private company? I mean, what do you say to that? Well, it's true, right? It is that that is correct. Their platform, their choice, private business. I understand that. But when you have private platforms or companies that are, that are now kicking off the president of the United States. Uh, states, that has real world implications in terms of that politician or president's ability to then communicate with the people that voted them into office. And that becomes a very slippery slope and a bit scary. I mean, a lot of people have commented, uh, at least I have, I can say, that ever since Trump uh, got kicked off of Twitter we, and is now subsequently not in office anymore, we barely hear from him. And I just, I, I find it bizarre. Yes. And, and meanwhile, they're trying to hold a trial against him in the Senate to convict him of inciting an insurrection. Uh, I've covered that on my show, how just absurd it is, number one. But also, number two, you accuse somebody of something and then you get rid of all of the platforms they have on which to speak. And so now he can't defend himself. It's fascinating you bring that up because this very same thing happened last night on Clubhouse as well. And so I'm going to take it out of the controversial topic of Trump and bring it to a real world example of last night on Clubhouse. Someone named David, who has amassed quite a following on there pretty quickly, was getting canceled in real time. There were all of these rooms and spinoff rooms saying that David should be canceled. I'm still not even clear what David did. <laughs> but the point is, anyone got on stage who knew him or didn't even knew, know him and, and voiced their opinion, which made me sort of think about what's going to happen with defamation lawsuits in real time when we look at Clubhouse. So, you know, I spoke to a lawyer about this and I said, can, you know, can someone go after the platform for this? And their answer, unfortunately, is that those lawsuits would be dismissed because of Section 230. And this brings it full circle to our conversation on Saturday night where we debated Section 230. And that is, this is why, again, that's scary. So if I want to create a clubhouse room right now called Jordan Paris is a terrible person, he deserves to be canceled. If I host 3,000 people in that room, okay? And we all have spinoff rooms about you. If you want to go after clubhouse or anyone who defamed you, that lawsuit's going to get thrown out because Section 230 is protecting the platform. Well, I get that. Why should Clubhouse be liable for that? I, look, I don't want any speech taken down from Clubhouse, even if it's derogatory about me. I don't want any speech being taken down from these platforms. I'm fine with all speech. I don't really, I don't care what it is. I don't care who it's, who it's bad for, even if it's about myself. I will defend to the death your right to say it. Yeah, I think there's a difference between someone's right to say things and outright defamation. And, and it's not Clubhouse's liability. What Donald Trump says on Twitter, I don't think it should be, it's not Twitter's responsibility. I don't think they should be held liable for that. Okay, and so, they're not. So, so people, yeah, but that's what the debate about Section 230 is. The people who want that amended or repealed believe that it is. That Twitter should be responsible or that Clubhouse should be responsible. If you take away that protection, 
then that's exactly what will happen and people can go after them. Give people a little bit of a, a, a rundown on Section 230 that might not know. So Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is a really hot topic in tech right now, which is widely debated when we look at Twitter, Facebook, any of these big tech conglomerates. It basically gives them a shield of liability and protection that other companies are not afforded. Other companies are not given the same amount of protection, just like what we said with this example with Jordan on Clubhouse. Basically, if someone wanted, if, if someone defamed him and they wanted to go after clubhouse for hosting that content right now they can't because it'd be thrown out because they have immunity because of section 230 so there is a big discussion over between big big tech and washington do these platforms still deserve this immunity and if so why and this you know we talked about this in in the republican and conservative group on clubhouse saturday night we had two tech lawyers on there actually three maybe oh yeah there were no there were at some at one point there were like five or six lawyers in there. I was like clicking everyone's profile. And, and I swear everyone, everyone's profile said like this law, that law, attorney, this. It was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and what's fascinating is like Jordan and I, we were co-moderating this room thinking we're having a conversation on one area. But what's, what's interesting is I suppose you can't really address, you can't have the topic or the conversation we wanted to have without really getting into section 230. Yeah. And that's what happened. Extending from social media, what do you think about outlets like CNN? And they're, you have hosts on there demanding that OAN, Newsmax, Fox, they should not be provided on cable. They should completely be canceled. I mean, what's your take on that? I think that everyone should be able to run their network the way that they want to. I don't think why OAN- is that? Why is that controversial? I don't. I don't understand. I, this is an incredible simplification, but you have the conservative side that just wants to live and let live without big government interference. Let us be, let us enjoy our lives, let us live. And you have the liberal side that just wants to fix everything and and control everything and tell you how to do this and tell you how to do that. And it's just like, oh, please get away from me. I really see that th- this country is is going to s- sort of splinter off into micro communities. And what's fascinating, I hate to keep talking about Clubhouse, but I seem to spend a lot of time on it. That's what I see happening there so fast. It's amazing to me to see communities recreate micro communities so quickly. And when they get ki- when people get kicked off of one platform and moved over to another platform, they recreate the same groups and micro communities all over again in real time. And that's been fascinating to see. And so again, like that's what I did with this um, conservative group, but I'm sure there's also going to be liberal groups on there too. And if those, if either of those groups are kicked off on that platform of both political parties, then they'll just recreate that on another platform. Yeah. And that's why I don't think these platforms like Twitter, LinkedIn, they're not doing the country any favors by banning people, by censoring people like myself. I've had incredible troubles on LinkedIn and TikTok in specific And they're not doing the country favors because we're just splintering off into these alternative platforms like Parler and Gab. And so never mind that social media in and of itself is already divisive because what goes viral? It's the hot take. It's the fiery soundbite. And I was talking about this on Clubhouse. It's the fiery take that that goes viral. And so it's already divisive in that way. I mean, because usually the fiery hot take is condescending towards the other side, whatever that other side is. 
So you have that element of social media. And now you're sectioning off different social media platforms between liberal and conservative. Because, you know, I, let's face it, Parler, Gab, I bet that 90 plus, 95 plus percent of the people on those platforms are conservative. That's not a United States. That's divided. Yeah, it's a divided states for sure. That's where we're at. And when you talk about unity healing and the sort of focus of this uh, new administration, the worst way to start that is with an impeachment trial. I mean, that's the opposite of unity or healing. Right. Let's go after a private citizen in Mar-a-Lago. Let's go after the the Republican president that just left office. That's going to, yeah, that's going to really heal the nation, right? I'm curious to hear about your experience on LinkedIn because I saw you. I've been watching you for a while. I followed. I, I mean, you you you've had a podcast for a while, correct? And you'd post sound bites yeah. on there. Yeah. So I've had a podcast for three years, and yeah, yeah, three years. Wow. And obviously, only in October, November is when it evolved into the Jordan Paris show and became covers now politics, current affairs. Obviously, as people know. So ever since that happened, everything I post is now political. And that includes a business platform like LinkedIn. And so ever since January 7th, I knew I always had to be careful on LinkedIn just because of who runs the platform, who owns the platform. Knew I always had to be careful. But ever since January 7th, the day after the Capitol riot, when big tech got cocky and started cracking down on everyone not just the president of the United States, but individual creators all across the country. As you know, as you've seen, I sent you screenshots of LinkedIn emails seven times a week. I get a problem with your post, a problem with your comment, a problem with your post. And a lot of times, you know, I'll just, I can't even say, Kristen, when, when it says a problem with your comment, I'll click on the comment. Every time I comment stupid communists or stupid Marxists, and it gets like 40, 50 likes, the comment, um, it gets removed. I because those even... are also words that are triggering algorithms. That's why in the clubhouse right. room, I said, be very careful what words. I, I said that a few times because they're looking out for a list of words. Yes. And now this other comment in particular, I got, so I got put in timeout for bullying the president. I got put in timeout for bullying Joe Biden. I, I posted a comment. It was on an article about how uh, Joe Biden admitting that he no longer, that, that, admitting that he doesn't have a plan for the pandemic. And what happened was I commented on that article and it said, the lies that people will tell all for a narcissistic self-image pursuit, dot, dot, dot. And then in parentheses, in this case, to be elected president. And that got removed on grounds of bullying and harassment. And now whenever I comment, ever since then, ever, whenever I go to comment, reply to someone or post something, it says, LinkedIn has a notification for me that says, please be respectful. Not everyone has it. People like me have it, though, because I'm a six-year-old little idiot that needs to be told how to interact with the world. So thanks, Mom. Thanks, LinkedIn. And so, yes, they're, they're keeping me in line now because, I yes, I'm in timeout for bullying the president. And I guess the key word in that comment was elected and president. Perhaps if I didn't put the parentheses, maybe I would have been fine. Well, so but I feel like they do have a real watchful eye on, on me, no matter what I post, no matter what I comment. It's like 60% of what I do on there. Well, so it's interesting, right? It's easier for these algorithms, I believe, to parse through text-based data. This is why I'm so fascinated with audio-based data and how they're doing that, right? So they can do that in a much quicker way when they're looking at the written word. 
on a LinkedIn, Facebook, or a Twitter. I want to know how they are doing that and what AI's role will be. And when we talk about content moderation and technology with these audio-based social media platforms, because I think that it is behind. I think the content moderation policies are certainly behind. And when we look at different overall abuse patterns on a place like Clubhouse, you have people complaining right and left. And how, how do you moderate something that disappears? That's the other issue we have, right? If totally. We understand how an Instagram story can disappear or you can just save it and pin it and keep it in a highlight. But when we're talking about disappearing audio on a platform that you can't say, that you can't record or you're not supposed to record, what do you do with that? How do you combat misinformation in real time? I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, I'm curious, actually, not pertaining to Clubhouse, but pertaining to audio. What do you think is going to happen in the world of podcasts? Because you see... Uh, I don't know if I sent you this article by a, a lady named Tali Arbel. She wrote about how right-wing extremists are now exploiting a loophole in content moderation podcasts. And, you know, you see Apple and Spotify are the big podcast platforms where most of the listeners are. Do you have any predictions for what's going to happen in terms of content moderation in the world of podcasts? My take is I'm certain that they're going to come after people like myself and Mark Levin and other conservative podcasters. My my prediction point. my prediction here is that you need if you really want to grow a podcast, it needs to be on your own platform from the ground up. Yeah. Conservatives are serious about creating that content and monetizing it. You can't host it on a platform, for example, like we saw Parler do with AWS. Right? You have to know or how they were pulled from the Apple store. You have to know that at any given moment you say one wrong thing and it will be pulled. And for someone who's conservative, it could be anything. Any statement you make is going to be perceived or misperceived. It's going to be called wrong. It's going to be called every name in the book, yeah. even if you're just trying to have a logical, open conversation. That's why I think that there's a way to do this where you can get your message across, but you can't go too far one way or the other. You have to know how to walk that line. It's, it's an art to doing that so that you are not getting pulled off of the air. Is there any solution as far as us conservatives staying on these platforms? I mean... It's becoming increasingly more hostile. I don't know what the solution is because we're. it's clear that we're not welcome on these platforms. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, I think that going to alternative platforms and leaving these mainstream platforms altogether, I think it's incredibly divisive and it's not helping matters. I mean, what is what is the solution here? Well, so here's here's the deal. It's clear that we're welcome if we stay and we be quiet. That's the only way we're welcome. That's, that's okay, the so problem. You can stay if you're silent and you don't talk. Yeah, because <laughs> LinkedIn also, they also cite like community and professional policies. And you know, you're only supposed to post business or professional content. And really what they're saying is you can post business content. You can praise the left. You can spew hate about Donald Trump. But if you dare talk about conservative values or any conservative talking points, that's going to be taken down. Yes, correct. So I think the only way that you can coexist on these platforms is to understand that, is to comply with it, and to really not say anything that's going to get you kicked off the platform. Now, of course, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? And some people would say, well, then why even bother? Why are, why are conservatives complaining about these platforms, yet they're still on them? You know, why don't they just right. totally make the the uh, jump to a place like Gab? I understand that argument, too. But I will say this. When we talk about something like Facebook, the, the Facebook groups are such an integral part of my job in PR and in the media every day where we're looking, you know, for we use that for networking. We use it for media queries. So 
it's almost not realistic to say that I won't be on there even if even if I said I don't want to, even if I said forget Facebook. How do you do your job without that? These these platforms are so ingrained into society at this point. Yes. I mean, that's part of the sick irony. We're all complaining about tech censorship and these tyrannical platforms on these same platforms. It's so funny, like what, with the Project Veritas, Facebook, Exposed Zuckerberg thing, they're posting about it. They're posting the videos on Instagram, something we, a, a Zuckerberg-owned platform, I was, which, number one, I was shocked it wasn't taken down. But yeah, I wish I could leave these platforms, but so much business value is derived from these platforms. And if someone like me is kicked off of LinkedIn, I don't make money anymore. I just find it fascinating that almost 500 people in two weeks joined this group of Republicans and conservatives, a group that didn't exist. And if I didn't make it, then was no one going to make it? I mean, you have half the country who's not happy with what just happened. And yet I was told, don't create this group. No one wants it. You're going to create that group. Not one person will join. And yet almost, I don't care. I'm not saying it because like, I usually don't follow numbers in that way, but I really am surprised. I don't, I guess the, I'm not marketing that group. So how do they find it? The only reason people are finding that is because they're looking for it. They're literally typing in the search box, box, Republicans and conservatives. So I, I think there's also an element of gaslighting that is just taking place in general, where people are saying, no one wants this. It's a liberal platform. No, no one is even asking for that, but they are. They're searching for it, they're finding it, and they're recreating that community. And I think my, my overall goal with creating that, as you said, is to try and get people to engage in um, such a heated environment by having dialogue. It doesn't mean you have to agree with someone. But like you said on Saturday night, ha someone came up from a different perspective. You had a what could have been a really heated debate, and it wasn't. You listened, you appreciated the feedback from the other side, and it was like, it was awesome. Why, why can't we get back to that place? That's what I want. I think maybe that's what you want too. I don't see why it has to be what it has become. Talking solutions though, and this is what I want to finish on, but owned versus rented platforms. I know you mentioned this on, I believe, One American News. It might have been Fox. The difference between the two, and if you could elaborate on, on that, because I think it's a, a major key to especially people who rely on these platforms for business value. So when we look at the peso model developed by someone else in the industry, there's paid media, earned media, search, and owned media. And as a public relations and media agency, we certainly recommend that clients do a combination of all four of those areas. Ten years ago, we would you would have agencies which would say invest your resources in one specific area versus a combination of all four. And now we are seeing a real change in terms of forget paid for a second. Um, Social media is not owned content. Social media falls under that rented bucket that you just mentioned. And so you had over the past 10 years, everyone pulling money out of like the gold rush, you know, like pulling money out of all everything they put in traditional advertising and putting it into social media. Now those same people don't know what to do because they've invested a small fortune or millions of dollars, you know, in uh, Facebook ads and they're being locked out of their accounts. Yeah. So that's from a marketing perspective, that's a widely problematic. And so again, these people are left wondering, 
where do I, I have this money bucketed in this area. What do I do with it? And so the solution here and what I urge people to do is to put those resources into owned content. The O is in owned. And what does that mean? That means uh, a podcast like this, but of course you have to look at who is distributing that podcast because when you start putting it on Apple, then you're taking it away from that own category. If you're talking about, for example, content marketing, that is own content, but there's things from a legal perspective that you have to do to also protect that content. This is, this is a much larger conversation than just invest money or time into content that you create that you own. You also need to invest the same amount of resources into protecting it so that people can't steal the content. And there's some fascinating new developments uh, in blockchain and protecting that content with timestamps that I'm looking at, which will, I hope, hopefully think we'll sort of reset the playing field so that because we have right now, you know, a copycat society where everyone is just stealing everyone else's work, which is borderline insane. You know, some people and I know that you must know this from uh, being an influencer on LinkedIn. You've probably seen people just rip your content off and it's content. It's your IP. Your content is your IP as a creator. Right. And so when people take that, some people say that they're flattered. I'm not flattered. I call it theft. It is theft. You are stealing. You're stealing someone's IP. So I take that very seriously. I think everyone should take that seriously, just as much as this conversation about big tech, because this is an area we certainly uh, can have a hand in changing. Well, what is owned content? Because I wouldn't even talk about this podcast as me owning it because, number one, yeah, it's distributed on all these platforms that I don't own. But when you even raise questions about, okay, who hosts this podcast? And I use a platform called Simplecast. Okay, where, well, where are Simplecast servers? What, where, where is this being hosted? I don't own Simplecast, the company. So really Simplecast, even though I pay them, I don't have a ton of control over over that. No, I don't have any That's control. That's true. That's what it. we just saw with Parler. And this is what Ben Shapiro has brought up. I brought it up as well, which is that if conservatives really want to take back control here, they need to create an ecosystem of services and goods from the ground up. Yeah. And that also starts with uh, working with vendors and companies that are conservative friendly, that you don't have to constantly wonder when you wake up if totally. your podcast will be pulled. Or else you're going to every day. And until, you know, it's one thing for conservatives to sort of talk about this. It's another thing for them to, to say, you know what, we've had enough and we're actually going to put our time as creators into creating this alternative ecosystem and platform. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's cheap. I'm not saying that it's not going to be hard because it will be. But what other option do we have other than just being pulled off air? Have our, ba have our businesses shut down one by one? I mean, is that the world we want to live in? Is that the world we want our kids to live in? Doesn't sound that bright yeah. to me. It's unfortunate. And you see platforms, even, you know, payment processors like Stripe, Square, and what's another one? Oh, PayPal. And they're getting rid of certain conservatives on there. You see Stripe, the Trump campaign, they used Stripe to process payments, donations, and uh, Stripe dissolved their relationship with President Trump. And in their terms actually says, anyone who's deemed a brand threat you know, they can refuse service to. So that pretty much means anything and everything and everyone. I use Stripe within my business. And then you have banks like, okay, Deutsche Bank, and, you know, they're not allowing President Trump to use his use their services anymore. So it's like, oh, wow, we need our own payment processors. We yes, need, you need everything. They're not working with Gab either. 
any no every, they've gab has been banned by every major payment processor out there we need but our gab own payment process right we way. need our own banks yeah what if because they, they have understood their own servers, this right? Yeah, they understood this problem. They understood how how foundational this problem gets, right? So they knew what was going to happen before it happened. And that is why I think that they are where they are right now versus some of these other platforms. So in many respects, I think they've made some good decisions there. I think we can all sort of yeah. learn from that as a case study. Certainly. Well, Kristen, Ruby, it has been a pleasure to have you on the Jordan Paris show at Sparkling Ruby on the Twitter We'll see how long uh, the Twitter. I mean, you don't really. You're you're not too edgy there on Twitter, but so I don't. I don't foresee you being gone anytime. I'm not soon. too. I'm not too edgy because I don't want to be deplatformed. Exactly. Yes. And then Clubhouse. What's it called again? Republicans. Republicans and, and conservatives. And then I've written some really cool guides on cancel culture and brand management that people can find on my site at rubymediagroup.com. It's one of the most recent articles on there. I write a lot about cancel culture. Mm. Kristen, thanks. Thanks for having me. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of The Jordan Paris Show. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, there are a couple of things that you can do. Number one is, of course, share with your friends and family. I think that they would really appreciate it. Number two, we have a free community, a censor-free community on Telegram. You can join that group at jordanparis.com group. I'd love to meet you. And lastly, your voice is powerful and it is important. And if you'd like to use your voice and start your own podcast, I'd love to help you out. JordanParis.com slash course is where you can find my free course on how to become a rock star podcaster. That's all. Thanks everyone for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of The Jordan Paris Show.